Hello and welcome to the show. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast player of your choice. So remember, subscription is for free. And once you're done listening to this episode, give me a five-star review because no one has given me four stars yet. Today on the show, we're going to look at another business feature, but this time it's a not-for-profit. And we're going to be looking at the overlap of how sales and business development principles can come in handy if you're growing an NGO or you're running a charity or some other not-for-profit um, organization, or even if you're running a social enterprise. A social enterprise is kind of that gray area that we have uh, these days in uh, in North America, uh, Western Europe. For practical purposes, they also exist in Nigeria, even though they are not a separate um, legal um, category yet. So in Nigeria, we still have for-profit businesses on one end, that's folks like me, and then NGOs on the other end, like um, <clears throat> uh, the Red Cross and uh, the lady who we're going to talk about today and her business, Martha Tawia. And the difference uh, being that um, for-profit entities like myself, we um, the revenue, the funds that we get from the business activities, we get to put them in our pockets, we get to use for school fees, uh, for fuel, for DSTV, for all kinds of things. But if you run an NGO, then the money that you get from all those activities have to be plowed back into those charitable causes, as you will find when we look at um, Martha's um, NGO. So in Nigeria, we still have that... Um, we still have that clear-cut um, split where we have um, NGOs on one end and then for-profit organizations on the other end. But in other parts of the world, we have this hybrid, and if I remember correctly, I think in the United Kingdom, um, there's already um, legal categories for that um, where they're called social enterprises. So a social enterprise is run for business purposes, but it recognizes that they might want to take some of the... The law recognizes that the... Uh, promoters, the shareholders want to take some of the proceeds and fund them um, into charitable causes. So you're kind of in that, um, in that, uh, what will I call it, gray area. You're kind of in that gray space. Like the fellow who started that, um, what's it called, Tom Shoes. Yeah, Tom Shoes. Yeah, that would be an example of um, social enterprise. So it's a for-profit um, entity because um, they are making um, money uh, but they have a um, social impact angle that is built into it. So you buy one pair of Toms and then, um, you know, X number of shoes get donated uh, to children in other parts of the world who cannot um, afford shoes. Anyway, it's been three minutes uh, into this intro, so I guess let's just head um, straight into it. So the whole point is today's uh, business feature is not really a business feature per se, not a business, but rather it's um, a not-for-profit. So the lady who runs the NGO, her name is Martha Tawia. Um, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing the name correctly. And no, she's not from Egypt. She is Nigerian. And I've told her that, yeah, her surname is the coolest surname I've um, ever heard. So, yeah. So Martha Tawia. And she runs... Um, Mom's Booth Empowerment Initiative. Mom's Booth, that is Mom's, M-U-M-S, and then Booth, B-O-O-T-H, written together. So it's an organization that trains women on vocational skills, uh, business skills, digital skills, helps them to start and to grow their business using these skills. Remember, vocational skills, 
business skills, digital skills, and then they help them grow their businesses. And over the last six years, they have reached over 11,000 women and about 1,500 children across, uh, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, across several African um, cities through their programs and their community. Then about 62% of the women they have trained so far um, have started businesses through um, the, the programs that they organize. And the goal is to reach as many women as uh, they can across Africa. Now for Martha, um, Martha and I met over a decade ago. Uh, back then she was exclusively into the balloon decor business. Okay, well, I'm not quite sure what they call um, that kind of business, but they do decorations and um, the centerpieces or, or rather the, the driving force behind the whole um, uh, decor for those kind of artists is um, balloons. So they do all kind of um, intricate um, designs. Uh, I think during the last electoral cycle, I even saw um, some blimps that she had produced. I'm assuming that they're called blimps, you know, those huge balloons that are filled with um, helium. Uh, they look like um, uh, American footballs and then, uh, you know, with the faces of uh, politicians on them and stuff like that. Really creative um, advertising concepts. So that's how Martha and I met uh, because of our pre uh, previous background um, being in the uh, wedding and the event space. So when I hooked up with Martha, I assumed that that's what we're going to be talking about, um, the balloon um, business. And that's what I was looking for too. But... She has a heart of gold. This NGO is something that is um, really speaks to her and is um, behind her heart. And so she wanted us to shed some light on that instead. And so that is what we're going to do uh, today. So the balloon business is still there. For those of you who run into Martha Tawia uh, personally and you want to talk about um, the balloon business, I'm sure she would um, oblige. Although right now, the focus is trying to make sure that the NGO, that's Mom's Booth, achieves the kind of um, funding, the kind of visibility, the kind of um, growth and um, exposure uh, that she desires. So she runs the NGO concurrently with um, her business, uh, but the NGO is her passion because she loves entrepreneurial education and the ability that modern business education has to lift the modern woman and to lift families to lift their earning potential for those of you who've been following the podcast for a while and you know my personal story you know that this is something that i can attest to you know you give a woman um not just ent um, entrepreneurial education but you give her a good quality of education and uh you expand the earning potential of the family and um it's all good like i've heard some people say you know nothing bad happens when a woman makes more money um, yeah, I know some of you might want to argue with that, but that's a topic for another show. So, um, how this NGO was born, it started because she was inspired from uh, an encounter that she had with, uh, how should I say? Okay, let me just say an indigent woman. Sorry, forgive me if some of the terms I'm using are not politically um, correct or, or are not appropriate. You know, I'm not in this space, so I'm not sure what the proper terms are to call... Um, I'm not sure what the proper term is to call certain kinds of people. So uh, I'm not trying to be um, insulting in any way. Uh, but, you know, I'm not in these um, spaces. So I'm not sure 
<clears throat> sorry, excuse me, how the level level of discourse have changed um, over time, you know, back from when I was in secondary school and things like that. So she had an encounter with an indigent woman, and rather than just giving this woman arms, um, she gave uh, the lady um, 5,000 naira, and that became seed capital to launch the woman's orange trading business. Now, the insight that she got from that is sometimes all people need is some seed funds, they need some know-how, they need some encouragement, they need some support, and they need the right kind of networks. And that is enough for people to make something of themselves, no matter how dire the situation is. Now, some of you might have noticed that this is actually a similar model for those who launch startups in America or in Nigeria or in the UK. It's the same thing. We get together a bunch of people, we put them in some communities so that they have access to know-how, um, encouragement, uh, network, <clears throat> support, and then we give them some seed capital and then we say, go ye forth and make us a bunch of money. So that is exactly how, um, it's the same model as to how uh, other companies, you know, Airbnb, you know, uh, whatever, and also um, Nigerian companies are born um, in the tech space, you know, the whole incubation thing. So she's basically doing the same sort of thing, but in <clears throat> in um, a social enterprise space, or in the uh, not-for-profit space. So the focus of the NGO is, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, just recovering from a cold. So the focus of the NGO is women empowerment, just in case you haven't figured it out. And uh, basically the goal is, um, okay, well, the focus of the NGO is women empowerment. And uh, they're trying to get people to build the businesses. They're trying to get women to build their businesses and grow their businesses. So that's where the skill acquisition training and the community element uh, come in. So skill acquisition, so they know how to build and how to grow. Then the community element is basically for accountability and motivation. And of course, we all need that. I mean, even if you're not in the NGO space, you know that as a fellow wedding photographer or as a fellow um, dredging engineer or whatever it is that you do, <clears throat> having um, the supportive community of other dredging engineers or wedding photographers or uh, balloon decor people, it all makes it easy for us to grow, um, to do our thing and to grow our businesses. So the source of funding so far for the NGO has been personal. That's money that Martha um, raises herself. Um, donations from friends and then the time and the donation of um, volunteers and this has allowed them um, to it has allowed them to expand their operations and access um, several African countries both physical and virtual so not everything has been physical you know they take advantage of virtual stuff as well I guess those are some of the um, blessings should I say blessings okay no let me not say blessings because um, the because uh, COVID wasn't a good thing. So it's one of the um, learnings that we have come away with uh, post-COVID. So they have gotten to do stuff in Nigeria, Uganda, Ghana, Botswana, I think Kenya, a bunch of other countries. Um, but, you know, the conversation was free-flowing, so I didn't have time to um, write down um, uh, everything. So, uh, yeah, that's those are the scope of um, operations so far. Now, the current challenge that she faces is trying to acquire more funds without begging and then focusing on partnerships and mutual visibility for donors and then donor organizations. 
In fact, when she said the without begging thing, I could relate. Because I went to Obafemi Abolowo University. That's where I had my first degree in law. And I was a member of the Nigerian Federation of um, Catholic uh, Students. And um, several part, uh, part, uh, times during the year, we would go um, fundraising. And at the time, I knew nothing about sales training, sales techniques, you know, those sorts of things. So a lot of us just became professional beggars. You take the envelope, you take the flyers, you take your raffle tickets, and you just go and beg. Beg other students, give me money. Beg your uncles, give me money. Beg your parents, give me money. We're just going around begging. So when she said, without begging, I could relate. Because I've been in the position of a beggar. And for uh, those of you who run, um, work with NGOs, I'm sure you can relate. A lot of times you're running around, cap in hand, looking for high net worth um, individuals, talking to different corporations, and you just feel like a professional beggar. So, a way of getting out of the begging route, like I said, is to focus on partnerships. You know, if you're doing partnerships, you guys are equal. I am not a beggar running to look for you for money. And then she's also looking for ways that you can achieve mutual visibility for the donors or the donor organizations. So we do this. You guys look good. You guys get exposure. And we also get um, exposure as well. Now, the corollary for those of us who are in the uh, profit-based businesses is the realization that money is the lifeblood of any organization. So profitability, sustainability, all those things. That should be our primary focus because without it, we can't achieve our goals. For profit-based organizations, if we do not have money, if we are not profitable, we cannot be sustainable. So sales is important. On the other hand, for people in the NGO space, if there is no money, and of course we can't call them profitable, but the thing is, without money, they cannot be sustainable and the NGO cannot achieve their goals. So if Martha does not have money, if Martha does not raise money, then there is no social impact on these women and children that she has um, been working with over the last, uh, how many years? Well, more than six years. At least in a formal sense, more than six years. But of course, you know, the work had been going on um, before then. So, the skills that we require for sales and business development, that's people like you and me who are chasing profits and who are trying to put more money in our pockets, the skills that we need for sales and business development are the same sort of skills that we need for fund development. They're essentially the same. The difference is just that for me, it's business development because I'm putting the money in my business, in my pocket, I buy internet, eat shawarma, take the children on holiday, pay school fees, you get the point. But then fund development, the money is supposed to go to the common purse of the NGO so that it can go back to educating these women. That's for people like Martha who are in the um, female empowerment space. And then for those of you who uh, right now, given the way that the Nigerian elections have turned out, maybe you are... your thing is uh, voter education or voter enlightenment, then fund development means that all the money that you raise goes back to the common purse so that you can educate voters in the future so that they can make better choices. But the skills are essentially the same. Back when I was in OAU with the Nigerian Federation Federation of Catholic Students, I had no idea. But had I known, I would have been a much more efficient um, fundraiser if I had known 
that all I had to do was pick up a business book, learn about sales, learn about business development, and then apply those same skills, and we would have been cool. So, um, if the skills are the same, what is the difference? The difference is what I keep harping on again, and I'm going to say it right now because I know I'm going to be somewhere live at an event talking about business development and fund development, and people are going to challenge me, so I'm saying it again. The principles are the same. The only difference is that after we get the results from business development, we invest the money back into the business so that you know the shareholders can get um, better returns and so I can get some money and so I can live a better lifestyle, buy myself a yacht, uh, what else, rent a nice house. You know, That's what we get at the end of business development. But when it comes to fund development, the results that we get from the activities, we put it back into charitable social causes. That is the difference. So I'm not saying NGO people should be um, uh, profiteering, money-loving, soulless uh, people. I'm just saying they need to adopt those um, skills. Now, um, in our conversation, um, Martha had some concerns around personality when it comes to fund development because, remember, she does not want to be pushy. She doesn't want to be desperate and she doesn't want to come across as a beggar. And like I said, I can relate. I remember being in OAU. I mean, you know, you take five of those. Um, let's say you have about 100 envelopes and you have about five booklets of raffle tickets. Each booklet has about um, 100 leaves in it. And, you know, so you wake up today, you talk to your classmates today, you talk to your classmates tomorrow, you talk to your mom when you're on holiday, you talk to your uncles, talk to your auntie. And after a while, you just feel like, man, I'm, I'm being a pest, shah. Like, every time people see me, it's just me and my envelopes. And it's me and my raffle tickets. And once in a while, I'll calculate, like, okay, each raffle ticket is uh, 10 bucks. There's 100 here. Okay, so that's 1,000 naira. And then I'll just take from my own pocket money and um, buy up all the raffle tickets, you know, uh, stuff like that. So I can understand. I can relate. So people in this space don't want to be pushy. They don't want to come across as desperate and they don't want to come across as a beggar. So, yeah, she had some concerns around that. And my advice to Martha and others um, in this space was all you have to do is use business development principles. Use it for fund development and you will be fine. Your concerns about personality, they're well-grounded, but you don't, you don't have to be that afraid. So what are the principles in particular that they need to apply? Number one is prospecting. If you are going to engage in fund development, you need to come up with a hit list. So, uh, for those of you who are not opposed to international grants, you need to come up with a hit list. You and your team, you and your crew, you and your spouse, you and your partner, you and whoever, you guys sit down. Like, okay, uh, these are the funds. WHO has this grant. British Council has this grant. Uh, American Aid has this grant. Japan International Corporation has th uh, this grant. Sit down. List everything. Don't worry if the list gets unwieldy. It's not a problem. Because the chances are, if you draw up a list of 20, there is no way. Okay, well, let me not say there's no way. Because it's possible that you draw up a list of 20 and then you get um, funding from those 20 organizations. It's possible for the sake of argument. But realistically speaking, <clears throat> there's no way that you're going to draw up a list of 20 and you're going to end up getting money from those 20 organizations. So it's okay. Just draw up your wish list. Like, if effort was not a problem or if money was not a problem who would we like to contact you know just throw every throw everybody on that list don't worry if at the end of the day you have 50 or you have uh, 60 
you don't have to tackle it one day. If you have 60 and you decide that you're going to take one week to try and hit up five organizations, then uh, that is 10 weeks that you have out of the year to try and raise funds. So number one, come up with a prospecting list, come up with a hit list, come up with a wish list, come up with whatever it is that you want to call it. And the goal is you're looking for people who are probably interested in the same social problems that you are trying to solve. You're trying to answer some questions. Who are they? Where do they hang out online or offline? And how can you come up with a plan for starting conversations with them? This is exactly what we do in the business space. For someone who sells pyjamas over on Instagram, yes, I'm back to the pyjama thing because the first sort of uh, pyjamas that my wife ordered for Christmas, they have arrived and I'm sure she's going to be ordering, <coughs> excuse me, she's going to be ordering some more. So it's the same thing. If you sell pyjamas, then you're thinking, okay, I have pyjamas and I want to sell. Who are the people who are interested in buying pyjamas for children? Who are they? Where do they hang out online or offline? And how can I come up with a plan for starting conversations with them? And so the person that my wife buys from, the person answered the question like, well, there are moms who hang out on Instagram and that is exactly where I can find them. And so this lady came up with a plan. Set up an Instagram handle, engaging content, uh, hashtags, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, promotions, um, uh, sponsored posts, you know, the whole thing to try and get the attention of people like my wife. So it's the same thing. The pyjama lady, that is what she does. <clears throat> she wakes up every day and she comes up with a plan for prospecting. Those of you in the fund development space, you need to come up with a plan for prospecting as well. Come up with a hit list. Just sit down. Don't worry. Don't be scared. Write it. Whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100. Write it. Who might be interested in the same social problems that I'm trying to solve? Who are these people? Where are these organizations? Where do they hang out? How can we reach them? And how can we come up with a plan for starting conversations with them? Number two, keep your personality intact. That is something that we know in the business space because if you're a reserve guy and you're kind of calm, you're not too out there uh, and you now try and appear high energy or something, by the time you guys get there for the business meeting, you know, you know how human beings are now. It, it will just be like, ah, are you sure this is the guy? You know, when we're talking over the phone or the, over the email, I thought he'll be like this, I thought he'll be like that. And they'll think you're not authentic, you seem shifty, you seem not trustworthy, so keep your personality intact. So for those of you in the fund development space, please keep your personality intact. Don't say that because you are laid back, but this work is really important, uh, you want to change the lives of these women, so you're going to pretend that you're high energy or something. Just keep your personality intact. Be authentic to yourself, don't change your personality because it's going to make you seem um, shifty. People should be able to see um, a congruence when they are talking to you over the phone, when they're reading your emails, when they see you in person, when they jam you in the office or they meet you in church or they meet you at home. There has to be a certain level of congruence that runs all through. So keep your personality intact. Do not change anything. Now, if you're not going to change your personality, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, then what should your focus be? Or rather, how should you try and drive these interactions? Now, you have to keep your focus on two main things. Number one, understanding value. And then number two, communicating value. So these are the core things that we are engaged in when it comes to business development. And you can do it in fund development as well. Most important thing is that you can execute this thing no matter your personality type. If you're shy, you can understand value. You can communicate value. If you're outgoing, you can understand value. You can communicate value. 
whether you're melancholic or sanguine or you're a charger or you're an influencer or you're a high decision maker or a Sagittarius or a Taurus or an Enneagram 2 or Enneagram 12 or you're a pragmatic realistic uh, thinker or you're a motivational new age manifester, doesn't matter what you are. All of us can understand value, number one, and then we can communicate value, number two. So what is understanding value? Understanding value is being able to listen and engage in a conversation to try and figure out what is important to this other person. We do that in business because I can't say buy my pajamas because it is the latest and it's the greatest, uh, the, the best and the brightest and whatnot. I can't sell my pajamas by just doing that. It is only when I've figured out who is this mom, what is she interested in, are her children uh, allergic to any kinds of things, um, what kind of uh, designs does mommy like, or what is mommy's vision for Christmas this year. It's only when I understand all these things that I can say, hey, momsy, I have the pajamas for you. Buy this one because of this, buy this one because of that. Uh, uh, in fact, if you buy um, six, uh, you get uh, 20% off the next five or whatever. You can only make a convincing presentation only when you've had a conversation with someone with a goal to understanding value, understanding what is valuable to them. It's only then that you can make a convincing pitch. So it's the same thing when it comes to fund development, when you're trying to raise money for your NGO or your charitable cause. You have to be able to figure out who are you talking to. <clears throat> so, excuse me. What is important to these people? What are their vision? What is their mission? Are you guys aligned? It is only then that you can make a presentation about your NGO to say, this is us. This is what we do. It is only then that you can make your sales pitch, in quote. I know some of you um, NGO guys won't like that, uh, that word. Or, uh, okay, let's call it something else. Uh, donor request. It's only then that you can make your donor request and show that your NGO is aligned with the donor mission, with the donor passion, you know, things like that. So that, in a sense, is what understanding value is about. So when you're coming into these meetings, it's not about coming in and you start begging for money. Come in with a mindset to understand value, first of all. Now, communicating value the second one, communicating value is being able to make an effective argument, make a compelling presentation, uh, make a compelling uh, business case, social case, um, whatever it is you want to call it. That's the second leg. And how they are related, um, like I've said, is you have to understand value first before you can now communicate value. So back to the pajamas example. You can only sell your pajamas if you know what it is that Momsi finds um, valuable. If Momsi does not believe in uh, Santa Claus, but you keep talking Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, I mean, you've lost Momsi. If Momsi believes in authentic uh, native um, Nigerian um, Christmas um, ideals, then you'll be better off selling the pajamas that say things about uh, home and family, uh, but you know, the Christmas pyjamas that um, avoid Santa Claus or avoid Rudolph. So you get my point. So it's the same thing. When it comes to um, the NGO, it's only when you know what they find valuable that you're going to be able to make um, the pitch. So, like I said, shy people can understand value. In fact, shy people will be very good at understanding value because they'll get their introduction and they're going to spend a lot of time listening. So they're going to be able to understand value. So maybe shy people have to work on communicating value, but it's something that a shy person can do. Take that from me. 
I'm a shy fella, but I know how to understand value. And so when the time comes, I'm going to be able to communicate value because I am on the much more um, reserved end of the spectrum. So shy people can communicate value. They just will do it differently than extroverted people will. But the principles are the same. Go in there, understand value. After you understand value, then communicate value. Can an egoist, uh, egoistic person or a narcissistic personality uh, type, can they engage in this kind of behavior? I am not a psychologist or um, uh, I'm not that kind of specialist, so I have no idea. But it probably be a challenge for egoistic people and narcissistic people uh, because for those kinds of people, um, they probably won't be good at understanding value because for the egoist or the uh, narcissist, they are the most important thing and most important thing in their own um, worldview. So they probably will go there and then rob everybody off the wrong way because they come into the meeting and they think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, especially since uh, they care for this cause and that cause and that cause. So, uh, okay, you know what? Let me just rewind. The thing I said about changing your personality. <clears throat> if you are a narcissist, okay, then maybe you have to see a doctor or some other specialist and then change your personality. Everybody else who is not an egoist or a narcissistic person, you are fine. Okay, but Martha is absolutely right. You have to approach people as equals. You have to approach people without desperation. You have to approach people without cap in hand, uh, without begging. Because if you go there in a submissive pose and you're begging, you're going to lose the balance of power. And you're going to make your proposition less attractive to the person on the other end. And all these things, unfortunately, are important. They're important in business. I don't want to lose the balance of power. They're also important in the NGOs. If you run around um, like a beggar, I mean, take the uh, take Mother Teresa. Okay, yes, most people know Mother Teresa's story. You see the way that um, she would command a room and she would approach people, business owners, heads of state. I mean, as far as she was concerned, she was an equal. Yes, she was less educated and she was um, uh, short and she had an accent or whatever. But as far as she was concerned, she was everybody's equal. She had a compelling um, vision of Christianity and the world and the reason why uh, they needed uh, they needed support of several organizations to do what it is that they have um, they have to do. So Martha is right. No begging, no desperation um, is going to make you and your uh, proposition less attractive. Now, in the past, uh, Martha and uh, Mom's Booth have uh, partnered with the NEPC. That's the Nigerian Export Promotion Council. And that's really interesting. That's good work because um, NEPC is all about um, uh, access to market, access to international markets. So it's good that they are talking to women all over the place, uh, Nigeria, Ghana, Uganda, and giving them the lowdown on how you can take your goods that you make in Ghana or in um or you know nigeria uganda kenya and um, access um, other markets so uh, that's good especially in places like nigeria where our currency is depressed and so if you're bringing in forex um it's a pretty good thing for the business good thing for uh, the family also a good thing for the economy overall so that's a really um interesting outreach that she's done uh, martha has been able to hook up there and in their communities, they broach all kinds of interesting topics. Um, one of them that I want to stress is hormonal awareness. And that is learning to work with the physical constraints 
of the body and the need for rest. Basically, just taking cues from your body for optimal um, performance. I want to stress this because, um, well, first of all, it's something that men are not aware of, that uh, women have much more varied hormonal responses and that affects uh, the way that they are able to... Um, Okay, well, they have a much more, they have a richer um, uh, internal hormonal environment. And we need to be cognizant of these sorts of um, things when we are um, uh, putting demands on our female members of staff and then um, stuff like that. Gosh, how I put it? Sorry, I'm trying to avoid the, um, I don't want the um, political correctness police to come uh, come after me because of anything I say on the podcast. But basically, we have to be um, uh, hormonal awareness, not just for men, but also for women. Because there are some women who do not realize that at certain times uh, of the month or certain times of the week, you know, this hormone is high, that hormone is low. So maybe um, she might be extra focused this time, but um, lack drive this time and, you know, stuff like that. So men, we go through our own hormonal issues uh, too, but not on a um, weekly or a monthly basis like women uh, women do. For for men, our own hormonal issues are more um, life uh, life life stages. You know, more like years. So twenties, uh, no, is it twenties or is it thirties and forties? I think twenty to forty testosterone is high. By forty, testosterone is leveling off. You know, stuff like that. So all these things affect um, a man's focus, drive, ambition. Um, you know, things like that. So women have the same thing as well. Theirs is just different, um, shorter cycles. Uh, but anyway, men need to pay attention to these things. Women need to pay attention to these things. We need to take cues from our body because our body often gives cues to tell us this is the best time to work, this is the best time to rest, this is the best time to do this, this is the best time to do that. So some of the interesting topics that have been broached uh, there. Also, child care challenges um, where the woman is the, pri- uh, the primary caregiver in the home, uh, coping strategies, also something that we also have to learn um, to do for those of us in the business space. So, um, of course, for those of you who've been listening from the beginning, you know of all the adventures that I have, you know, when the children are around, how that affects my recording schedule. And, uh, of course, they go to school, they come back, they bring the cold for some reason. My wife doesn't get the cold. I'm the one who gets the cold. That affects my um, ability to record clearly without coughing or sniffling and clearing my throat. Um, yeah, so, of course, uh, those are kind of things that she talks about um, where women are the primary caregivers. Then also challenges in raising business um, finance because uh, they're trying to help um, women-owned business raise um, financial business. So they have to teach women about overcoming um, structural finance issues. That is where people commingle accounts. You know, uh, you have an account for the business, but your husband takes from the account to go and buy alcohol or to uh, pay school fees or to pay DSTV or whatever. So you have to be able to separate um, personal uh, finance from business finance. Uh, keep good books, uh, things like that. <clears throat> so those are some of the things that they talk about at um, uh, Martha and her crew talk about at Mom's Booth. Then uh, they also talk about online visibility for business. You know, there are tips and tricks, uh, hashtags, online visibility, using social media, um, all those sorts of things. Really, really important for business. Maybe not for the lady who was selling oranges, the first lady that um, she met, but um, for people who are... Um, hitting the NEPC uh, training. That's Nigerian Export Promotion Councils. I guess, you know, there's uh, going to be stuff here about social media, websites, and things like that that will be um, relevant and interesting for these people. Then, of course, they also run trainings on how to handle um, customer surveys to improve the business. 
um, interpreting and sifting through client responses and things like that. Now, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, we have over 715 episodes so far. You will recognize that these are similar to things that we already discussed on the podcast. We discuss sales and business development good practices for your business. Customer surveys, they are important because this is part of the feedback mechanism that helps you determine, number one, use case scenarios. Use case scenarios basically just means what are the best uh, conditions under which people can use my product or my service. If you know that, you're going to be able to advise people, um, going to be able to advise people the best. Like when we're shopping for a TV, uh, we're looking at different models. Uh, the person asked me a couple of questions. Uh, you know, who are you? Uh, you know, uh, wifey, how do you guys watch TV? The children, how do you guys watch TV? Do you have laptops? Blah, 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 blah. And I was able to say, okay, look, given this from what I know about you guys, I don't think there's any need to buy a smart TV because this, that, 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 that. People who use smart TVs uh, best use it because they want to achieve this, 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 and that. And it sounded like good advice. It made sense. So there was no need for us to buy a smart TV. We were able to buy a modern um, TV, um, uh, high definition, high quality, high everything, but uh, was not as expensive as a um, smart TV. You can only do that if you've been engaging in customer surveys or different feedback mechanisms so you know your customers and you know the kind of person that smart tv will pay and regular tv uh, will pay so you can advise people accordingly uh, so all these feedback mechanisms also help you figure out your icp that's your ideal customer profile who is it that is best to buy this or to buy that and um, helps you make your product or your service better helps to improve the customer experience and so that's the reason why customer service are important and that's the reason why it's a good idea that martha and the people at mom's booth keep talking about these sorts of things then um, <clears throat> uh, i'm sure you remember that i mentioned at the top of the podcast that they also um, give training to children and um, at first i thought it was strange but after we uh, kept talking it made sense because um, it's important to make sure that people start their entrepreneurial journey earlier. If you think I'm impressive now, imagine what I would have been if I had started my entrepreneurial activities when I was 13 or 14. I would have been an absolute rock star or superstar um, right now. <clears throat> so it's the same thing. Get the kids to start early. It gives them more probabilities for success because they have more time to try out things, to fail out things and things like that. It helps them to build greater competence and greater confidence. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And also the greater chance that uh, their future families are going to be um, taken care of. So some of the courses for the kids, you know, different courses. Um, like I said, I was writing down manual, so I couldn't write as fast to keep up with uh, Martha. I mean, she gets really excited when she talks about this stuff. So there's, um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, there's um, IT courses, tech courses, uh, cake making, jewelry, all kinds of things. And then they also have um, the career-focused um, edition for the children so that they can start thinking about paid employment um, options because not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. There are some people who want to be civil engineers with Shell, and that is not bad. So it's nice to start talking to those sorts of children now so that they can broaden their horizons and see what is possible. Not everybody has to be a lawyer, doctor, um, accountant. There are other things out there. So, um, okay, it's been over 30 minutes, so let me just wrap it up. Now, with all the good stuff that you've heard so far, if you would love to support uh, Mom's Booth and Martha, then reach out to her using the following resources. The website is momsbooth.com. That's www.momsbooth, <clears throat> written together as one word, 
M-U-M-S, and then B-O-O-T-H.com. Moms both together. The Instagram is at moms underscore booth. The Facebook is moms booth, one word. And then the LinkedIn is moms booth empowerment initiative. And her personal LinkedIn is Martha Tawia. So connect with her if you think she's doing important work and you would like to support. In fact, I would say, please support the organization because there are some of us who are the product of single mom families. And people like Martha make a difference in how children like me come out because they're able to equip and train and support women like my mom. So if my mom didn't have access to training, networking, education, employment um, opportunities, things like that, life would have turned out differently and much more harsher than the, for the five of us that my mother trained. Now, of course, my mom has a supportive family, but let's face it, everybody had their own problems back in the day, especially in Nigeria that was economically depressed. Okay, well, we still are economically depressed. Um, anyway, but back then, you know, Nigeria was economically depressed, um, you know, 70s, uh, 80s, all the way through to second, um, second millennium um, military governments. You know, that was my era, you know, when I was a kid. So everybody had problems um, back then. So yes, our family was supportive, but then all the other networks, you know, people and people and things that I've spoken about in other podcast episodes, I hardly talk about my life, but for the episodes where I do, and for those who are familiar with those episodes, um, you catch the drift. So ideally, God willing, in a perfect world, it would be nice for families to be together so that women and children would not be economically and socially uh, socially um, vulnerable. But until then, the work of organizations like Mom's Booth and the things uh, that Martha is doing and other people like Martha, uh, things like this will continue to be important and it will continue to be socially relevant work. So because of that, I'm going to say support Martha. And for the rest of you listeners who have NGOs like she does, and you worry about fund development, you worry about raising money, <clears throat> you worry about donor relations, stakeholder management, those sorts of things. Get in touch and let's come up with a plan for making your NGO much more viable. You can call, you can text, SMS, WhatsApp, Telegram me on 080-6466-2140. I'm your host, Taveshima Ayede, signing out now. If you want to follow me on LinkedIn and socials, you can confirm the spelling of my name and email address from the website where you're currently listening to the show or the podcast app where you are listening to my voice. So thanks for your time and attention. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. If you didn't get any of, um, any of Martha's details, don't worry. It's all going to be in the show notes after you're done listening to this podcast. So once you're done, uh, depending on the podcast player, some podcast players have um, details uh, some podcast players have um, info. So whether it's details or info or see more or whatever, just click there and you have all the details about how you can get in touch with Martha and how you can support Mom's Booth. So thanks for your time and attention. I'll catch you guys at the next episode.